Thank God for this church. Thank God for the gift of each other. Yeah. Amen. Jesus said uh, when he left us, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your guide. And, uh, and also, uh, he didn't say this, but he gave us each other. So uh, we can also praise him for the church and praise him for what he's doing in our church uh, this morning. You know, um, I'm not sure, most of you are, are plenty aware, we've got a really great missions team, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just only biased, I am biased, because uh, my wife's on it, but um, <laughs> there's some really great men and women on that missions team, and they've been praying a lot, and this church supports our missionaries uh, far and near, really well. Um, when, when the question comes up about finances, it's like, no, we're going to prioritize, making sure they get supported, so that's... It, It's okay. I'll blame Casey. Uh, anyway, so you can be encouraged that this church supports missions far and near. And so this morning we're going to hear from near. Uh, David, who doesn't shave it, can come on up. Uh, <laughs> he's going to just share a little bit what God's doing. And so Young Life is one of the ministries, uh, mission outreaches to youth in this valley. We can just uh, be excited to hear what God's doing. Thank you very much. Um, if we could bring the whipped cream forward, I'm going to need uh, four volunteers. Oh, sorry, wait, wrong spot, wrong spot. Um, <laughs> too early in the morning, sorry, guys. Uh, so as you heard, I'm Dave, who doesn't shave, um, Dave, who doesn't shave, Epperson. Um, and I'm the area director here for Young Life in town. And um, first of all, we just want to thank you guys for your support. Um, your church, our church, um, has been faithfully supporting Young Life, and it's just made a big difference. Um, because of your support, we've been able to uh, grow our leadership uh, team, um, both in uh, middle school and in high school. Um, uh, we've been able to split our leaders into two distinct teams rather than having all of our leaders ministering to all of the kids um, so that it can be a little bit more focused. Um, we have uh, recently we've been ministering to about 20 to 30 middle school students on a weekly basis at Young Life Club. Um, and if you're interested in helping out with that, we have a meal train and we need some people to sign up. So little, uh, little plug there. But uh, so, uh, and this is my wife, Melissa. She's going to talk a little bit about um, what's going on in high school. Hi. Hey, so with high school, it's been really cool this year. We um, have not had a chance to, we haven't been starting club yet, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been working with kids. So the high school girls have had a Bible study that has started up on Monday nights at 6.30. And what that looks like is there has been a faithful group of 6 to 12 girls showing up every single Monday night. And there's been leaders there, and we've been going through um, apologetics of faith. Like, how can you defend your faith? And how do we know that Jesus actually died on the cross and actually rose again? How do we know where God is in suffering? And just really encouraging these girls to ask hard questions because they're going to have questions. And asking the questions and looking to the Bible for answers. And so it's been really, really awesome working with them. All right. That's exciting. High school boys, am I on? High school boys also have a, um, uh, we're getting a campaigner started, and you can talk to John, um, John Snyder or myself about that. Um, we're getting that started. It is going to happen. It's just getting the boys involved. So um, it takes a little time. There's no app for that. Um, so this, this summer, uh, we took 12 students to summer camp, and um, before that, in February, we took... Um, about a dozen students to a winter camp that we put on. Um, and so lots of kids um, in the Chelan Valley are hearing about Jesus uh, through Young Life. Um, and through all of the you know, numbers tracking um, and growth uh, graphs, um, it's important to remember that there are individuals that are being impacted by this. And I just want to tell you about um, a seventh grade boy that um, he moved to town right about as I moved to town last summer. Um, and God put him in front of me and he just kept putting him in front of me over the course of um, the first few months of the last school year. Um, and after just bumping into him at lunch and after, after school and everything, um, through that we built a little relationship. Um, and then I started inviting boys over to my house for um, what we call campaigners. It's a small discipleship group. Um, 
And he started coming, and he started coming to hear me read the book of John to these, to these middle school boys. Um, and then this summer, um, we took him to sixth grade camp, me and Kath. Uh, and uh, if you don't know Young Life Camp, you need to know it. It's, it's just an amazing time where kids are just pointed in the direction of Jesus and also given the space to process that. Um, and so Zyra went, oh, I said his name. Um, he went with us uh, and he heard about Jesus the whole time and he had the chance to process that. And um, we have one-on-ones where, you know, a leader takes a kid aside and says, so what do you think about this stuff that's happening? Um, and Zyra said, you know, I knew Jesus before I moved to town um, and I want to make sure that I know him now. And so I prayed with him, and um, he's been faithfully coming to my house and coming to fundraisers and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so there are individuals who are being impacted by this. It's not just it's not just statistics that are being impacted. So, um, so these things are amazing. Of course, and uh, <laughs> frankly, it's only scratching the surface of the world of kids in the Chelan Valley. Uh, at um, Chelan High School, there's about 425 students. At uh, Chelan Middle School, there's about 322 students. Um, and as an area um, of Chelan Valley Young Life, including Manson, which has about 300 students or so in their <laughs> building, um, as an area, we have a goal of knowing 80% of the students in Chelan Valley by name between all of our leaders. Um, so that means that we can walk down the hallway and say, hey, how are you, Scott, um, or whoever, you know. So um, that's our goal. Right now we're floating around 30%, um, but it's definitely growing. Um, it's definitely growing because our leaders are getting out and meeting kids, and they um, go to football games, and afterwards we have fifth quarters, um, which we go to Company Creek Pizza and have all-you-can-eat pizza, and it's just the most beautiful thing. Um, leaders go to school lunch. Um, and they meet their friends at school. They meet their they meet kids, and their friends at school lunch. Um, they uh, we have club nights, of course, um, and that's an opportunity for kids to invite their friends uh, into what we're doing. And um, we have parents and school district employees um, who are uh, leaders and also who support Young Life uh, greatly. So, um, so through all of that all of that beauty. Um, I just want to stress that Young Life is nothing without its leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, to a kid, Young Life looks like a person who is walking with them and cares about them. Um, and so I want to invite you, um, it might be you and your spouse or it might be you and your uh, small group, um, but I want to invite you to sponsor a leader. Um, so um, it, it can just cost a lot to get into the world of kids. Um, we have sports games to go to that are six bucks a night. Um, you know, coffee or froyo or whatever. Uh, and there's going to movies and having dinner. And there's there's just a lot of stuff that leaders do um, to get into the world of kids. And we want that to be as small of a financial burden on our leaders as possible. So, um, and also leader training is very important. Um, the Inland Northwest region um, agrees with that. And we put on every year a um, big, it's called Regional Leadership Weekend. Uh, where we train our leaders um, for about two days, and there's very pointed uh, trainings that are based on what specific leaders might need, such as uh, working with special needs or working with young moms or you know different uh, different things. So that's something that happens every year. Um, and so all in all, um, a year of relationship building and training with a leader costs about $150. Um, and so I would like to invite you as individuals, as couples, as small groups. Um, to sponsor a leader. Um, And really, above all else, um, I ask you to pray for our leaders, um, for our kids, um, and just for the the movement of God in the valley. I don't know who I give the mic to. (laughs) Thank you very much. so much for Dave and Melissa who have made the journey up here from Yakima um, and, and are serving this valley and serving the youth of this valley. Lord God, I pray that you would fill them with your encouragement, 
power of your spirit and lives and hearts of our youth to be changed and also the leaders that work with the kids and all of us, Lord God, as we hear about your work and hear the God stories that are taking place. Lord, may we rejoice. May we give financially. May we give with our time. May we give, Lord God, with prayer. Lord God, as we just remember this wonderful couple and we just bring them before you. Lord, we just ask that you go before them. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. For since the law has been put a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never buy the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure." Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, hold on a second. And by that, we'll, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on the minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of God. don't have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to open them up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. Thanks, John, for reading that for us this morning. Make sure I'm good to go here. Excellent. All right. We've been on quite a journey as we've traveled through the book of Hebrews. the beginning of this book, the author makes an incredible statement, and he sets the tone for the whole book. And he says here at the beginning of the book in Hebrews chapter 1, and verses 1 through 4, he says, long ago, and at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much more superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." The author of Hebrews starts this book off by saying this book 
It's about Jesus Christ. And, and specifically, a specific attribute of who Jesus is. This year, in Easter of this year, we started off our year-long series that Jesus is greater. He's the greater prophet. We talked about in the book of, oh my goodness, I can't look, Hosea, thank you. In the book of Hosea, thank you, Christy Kay. She was ready. And then we were talked about in the book of Hosea how Jesus is the better prophet. And then we did our essential series and we changed things up because since Jesus is greater, his commands are the greatest commands. And Jesus commanded us, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, love your neighbor as yourself. And he also commanded us to make disciples. And so we said, you know what, we're going to simplify things around here. We're just going to be about what Jesus commanded us to say and do. And so those are our essentials. Love God, love people, make disciples. Amen. On the surface, it sounds super easy, but when we start diving into it, we realize, man, this is going to encompass every area and every aspect of my life 24-7. Yes. And then we moved into Hebrews, and we're discovering that Jesus is the greater priest. He's the greatest priest. And the author of Hebrews began his argument there by saying, you know what, he's better than the angels. And the angels in the Old Testament were attributed for giving the revelation to the prophets, and the prophets then spoke to the people. And so the angels were, were administers of the revelation of God. And they were very powerful creatures, and we see this in the New Testament especially. When an angel comes on the scene, the first thing that angel needs to tell everybody is, don't be what? Afraid, right? Because they're going... Whoa, and Jesus is far greater than the angels. And then we see Jesus is greater than Moses. And he talks about here. And Jesus is greater than Abraham. And Jesus is greater than Levi. And Jesus is greater than all the priests that have ever come because Jesus is from a different order of priests. He's from the order of Melchizedek. And his priesthood is different in that he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself first before he goes into the Holy of Holies. Because his sacrifice, he is, he is the perfect sacrifice as well as the perfect <clears throat> priest. We also see that the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ doesn't need to be made over and over and over again. And this passage here this morning in Hebrews 10 is really going to highlight this. But this passage in 10, 1 through 18 is the culmination of the argument of the book of Hebrews. He is bringing this argument to its climax right here in verses 1 through 18. Next week, we're going to look at four verses. And it is what I believe the heart of the book of Hebrews. And it is the commands of Hebrews. Live this way in light of the argument that I have just made about who Jesus Christ is and the facts and the things that we've learned about Jesus. We're going to stop just drinking milk, but we're going to start chewing on this meat of who Jesus is. And it's going to change your life and you want to obey these four commands that we're going to learn about next week. But this is the climax of the argument. This is the heart of the argument that the author of Hebrews has been building to. And I would probably argue that this is one of the most significant, if not the most, one of the most, the significant sermon I've ever preached. Because I believe that if we grasp hold of the truth found in these 18 verses, it will radically change how you look at your future and how you live for God from here on out. He goes, he starts off here by saying in verses 1 through 4, that prototypes don't perfect. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of the realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year. Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of goat, bulls and goats to take away sins. Yes. That verse 3 struck me like a ton of bricks as I was studying this passage. It is something that I hadn't considered. 
that year after year when they would come and they, on the day of atonement and they would bring their, their sin offering and they would have this sin offering sacrificed upon the altar for their sins. Year after year, they perpetually did this, and ritualistically. And again, we go back to the reason they were doing this was not to earn right standing with God, but to be obedient to the commands of God because they loved God, they had faith in God. But the continual offering of these animals year after year kept their sins right in front of of them. You ever thought about that? Because that offering that they were making upon the altar while being obedient to God, it just covered their sin, but it didn't wipe away and wash away their sin. They, they looked to the promise in the future of one that would come that would wipe away their sin, but their sin was not being wiped away and cleansed from them. They're rather, their, their hope was in one that would come and do that. So year after year, they're bringing these sacrifices, and their sin just stood there before them, and they're laying their hands upon the, all, this offering, and they're, they're, they're basically imputing their sins to this animal, and then this, sin, this sacrifice that would be made on their behalf. But this sacrifice did not take away their sin. And next year, they'd come back and they'd do it again. And the next year, they'd come back and they'd do it again. Their sins continually before them. Verse 3, I want to read that to you again. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. These things don't perfect. The sacrifices that they made did not wash away their sin. But they served as a reminder that there was a need for something greater. During our sermon chat time this week, we had a lot of fun. Um, Steve and John were just sharing stories and, and, and it's that kind of that very much went along with what we're talking about this morning. And there was this illustration that was developed that I really appreciated especially having worked on a car for a while. So um, some of you don't know or are newer to the church, uh, Ethan, my eldest son, who is a junior at University of Idaho, we rebuilt a 1967 International Scout 800 together. Okay? Now, as you can imagine, on a 1967 car, you're going to have a significant amount of rust. Okay? And my dad used to be an auto body guy. Um, he had his own auto body shop on the farm in Nebraska. And my dad was like on us about sanding out every piece of rust. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of all the rust. Because you can have the prettiest paint job in the world. But if you don't get rid of all that rust, it's going to start growing again and it's going to start bubbling the paint and the paint's going to peel off and you're going to be stuck right back there again. And I don't care how much Bondo you put over it, right Dave? You can put all the Bondo over you and guess what? The Bondo's going to mess up. And I don't care how what the Bondo says. You can't get rid of, of like, you, you can't just cover up rust. It's going to show back through. Year after year, they would deal with this issue of sin. But they were in need of one that could wipe away and cleanse their conscience. And wipe away their sin completely. I don't know about you, but it, at this moment, I am so grateful to live at the day and age that we get to live in with the cross behind us. And be able to look back and say, Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. We see here in verses 5 through 10, he goes on and he says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 
And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, the prototypes were never ever intended to perfect the broken, the sinful. But rather, it is the perfect Lamb of God that comes and takes away the sin of the world. Christ's obedience to the Father. And I really appreciate preachers. They can sit there and tell the story of Jesus Christ and contextualize it in such a manner that makes me relate even more so to Jesus. And there was something that, that struck me when we were studying this passage. When the text says that Jesus, his brothers, and his mothers were outside of the house and, and beckoning him to come out of the house, right? Like, come on, Jesus, it's, it's time to go. And Jesus is about his father's work. His own brothers and his own sisters did not understand who he is, what he came to do at that point. Jesus lived upon this earth with people doubting him all over the place. People fa Jesus faced ridicule. He faced hardship. And even in the garden, we see Jesus like, Lord, if there, Father, if there's any other way that this can be accomplished, let it be. And then, you know, and, and then he's perfectly submitting to the will of the Father. Jesus lived every single day perfectly and without sin. And that is the only way he could be this perfect sacrifice that would satisfy the law of salvation that God had written before the foundations of the world. And only the perfect perfects. <coughs> Next we see here that the sacrifice, the differences between the sacrifices of the old and the new in verses 11 and 14 through 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time on until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So underneath the old covenant, the priests remain what? Standing, right? Continually about work. Every day the priests would, would work within the temple. Sacrifices were being made. On the Day of Atonement, a lot of sacrifices were made. But they were perpetually working. The work was never done because guess what? Sin had not been taken care of and wiped away. They were called to this perpetual work to show their faith, to demonstrate their faith in God and that they loved him. And so they, they loved God, they were obedient to his commands, and perpetually did this work within the temple. What does Jesus do? He sits down. He ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. There's no more salvific work to be done. Our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ because of his work on behalf of us. He sits down. I don't know about you, but after a long day of, of hard work or working outside or doing a lot of different chores or getting that honeydew list knocked out, like, it feels good to sit down. But it doesn't feel so good to sit down when you know there's a lot more to do. Like, Christy will tell me, just sit down and, and take a moment to recover. But if I sit down, I'm not going to get the rest of my list done. Right? And I want to be able to sit down and enjoy like sitting down and relaxing. Like when Jesus sits down, 
He's telling all of us the salvation of all that work for our salvation is accomplished. It's done. It's guaranteed in him and his work and what he has accomplished. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a huge deal to the church. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ signifies that Good Friday and the sacrifice for sin is complete and God approves. And the Holy Spirit comes and awakes Jesus and they walk out of the grave. The work is accomplished and Jesus ascends to heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the Father and he remains seated. And you know what's so wonderful? is you and I can't make him get up. Means that my sin isn't going to make him get back up because what he accomplished, the blood that he shed, wipes it clean. It's done. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, for those of us who are children of God, it's done. It's done. This is so significant. Guess what? The year after year after year of, of repeating the sacrifice. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to hold slow down there. So the, the priests offered daily. Offered daily. They worked daily. Jesus offers the sacrifice once for all. Amen. Once for all. Year after year, they'd come and they'd offer these sacrifices on, at the temple or at the tabernacle. And they'd offer these sacrifices, and they're reminded every year of their sins, that my sins, though I offer this animal, my sins remain because I, I recognize that I'm going to be back here next year offering another animal. But in Jesus Christ, my sin is gone. And you know what Jesus doesn't want me to do? He doesn't want me to sit there and say, Oh, your sin, your sin, your sin. In fact, his blood washes away my sin so that no longer needs to be a focus of my life. I no longer need to think about coming back next week and offering a, a, a sacrifice for sins. Any of y'all bring an animal this week to sacrifice? Right? No, absolutely not. The sacrifice has been made. God does not want our focal point there anymore. It's once and for all, it's done. He wants us going, your sin is done. Quit living in light of your sin. Quit thinking about your sin. Keep going back to your sin. Uh, Hebrews paints a very, not Hebrews, Proverbs paints this very powerful illustration. Like a dog returning to his vomit. Is this person who just keeps going back to their sin. Like that's a pretty powerful picture. I was hanging out with Kristen. Kristen um, from the Naz. I love them dearly. Such dear friends of mine this week. And they, they were talking to their kids. <laughs> it's a powerful illustration. They're talking to their kids about engaging each other and, 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 and like getting more angry with each other and more angry with each other. And instead of like the older one saying, I'm choosing not to engage that, to walk away and to let this thing cool down. He goes like, when you engage in that, it's like you're walking outside, grabbing a handful of poop and smearing it all over your body. And the kids hate that illustration. But that's literally like when we choose to like live in our sin and live in light of sin done to us and live in light of our sins and our past and our struggles. It's like there's a whole mess of hog manure and you're just going doing a belly flop in the middle of it and rolling around into it. And Jesus is saying, I have cleansed you. I have set you free. Stop it. It's once and for all. It's done. That's why it's so significant that he's seated upon the throne. The sacrifices didn't remove sins, but his sacrifice removed sin, perfecting men for all time. Now, this is the tough part, right? We know, or we should know, what Jesus did means that we're holy before God. Where we struggle is living out that holiness on a daily basis, right? We struggle <laughs> like I'm holy and I want to live for God today. I want to live a holy life for God today. I don't want to live in light of my sin. I don't want to keep returning there. I want to live in light of the freedom and that sacrifice that has been made for me. That's our struggle is living in light of who we are in Jesus Christ. 
We call this process sanctification. That's a big word. It means that God is in the process of continually setting us apart. God is in the process of continually making us holy. We are holy, and he's making us holy. He is setting us apart. And he is putting us on this incredible journey. And this is so significant that Jesus is our high priest. In light of the book of Hebrews, this is so important for you to understand that he is seated, the salvation work is complete, and he continues to intercede so that we can continue to strive to be holy. We continue to, to work with, in concert with the Holy Spirit in our lives to live lives that are set apart for God in all that we are and all that we do and in every single relationship. Jesus makes it possible for us to strive after that because we're going to fall down and we're going to make mistakes and we are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and our sins come up before the Lord, before the Father, and Jesus says they're under the blood. What he's crying out, what the Spirit witnesses and testifies to us is stop living in light of your sin. Have victory over it. Verses 10, 15 to 18 reads this. This is the covenant that I will make with them. Actually, we'll start in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with him. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Therefore, there is forgiveness of sin. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I love the word here that is used for the Holy Spirit. He bears witness. It's the same word that's used for testifying. Like the Holy Spirit continually is in us, reminding us of the work of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf. He is reminding us, and he's now writing this upon our hearts and our minds. He is interacting with us so that we might have victory over sin, so sin would no longer dominate and rule our lives. So that in all of life, we might live as children of God. We're no longer looking to stone tablets for instruction. We now have been given this wonderful book called the Bible in which the Holy Spirit works through to teach us what it is to be children of God and live for God in all that we do and say. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come to change a part of us. He came to change all of us. He came not just to redeem our marriage relationships, but every relationship that we have with people. He came to radically alter everything that we know and do so that we might begin what it is to have this abundant life in him. You see, people talk about Christianity being about a bunch of rules. I don't see it. I see freedom. I see hope. I see life and life in the most abundant form because God tells me, hey, you want to have a good marriage, Scott? This is what it looks like. You want to have great relationship and great deep friendships? This is what it looks like. You want to have a great relationship with your kids? This is what it looks like. I'm going to give to you this abundant life. You want to have wealth and possessions? I'll give it to you in a way that you can understand that that won't rule over you that they won't reign in you, that you'll be able to appreciate them and use them in glory and gifts to glory to God and worship God through them. That they're not the object of life. God is the object. And the reason that we have this life to live, it's all about him. And when we see this and we understand things through this lens of eternity, we get to properly understand the world in which we live in. But the problem is, we see the physical world around us and we live in light of the physical world 
You know, when, we're ki- when our kids come up to us and say, so-and-so made me angry, right? We tell our kids, they didn't make you angry, you chose to become angry, right? You see, the physical world around us doesn't make us sin. We choose to enter into sin because of what we live. And because of how we're thinking. Romans 12, chapter, verse 1, you know, that this understanding that our rightful duty of worship is to have our minds transformed by God. So that we might understand that the world that we live in, God put us here to worship him and to glorify him here, but not to live for it. And so we struggle. We have fears, and we live in, so we're anxious. We have habits that we will not let go of because we find comfort in those habits. And so we live in light of the sin of those habits. Let me tell you something. And I want to talk to you this from the bottom of my heart. God teaches us about relationships in the word of God. All sorts of relationships. Husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, children's nephews, aunts, uncles. Like, all sorts of relationships, relationships with our co-workers and our peers, like all sorts of relationships God addresses in this wonderful book. And he teaches us what healthy relationships look like and what abundant relationships look like. But we really struggle with that in this world. We really do. We, we, we get into bad rhythms and bad habits and we just stuck in these habits and you're like, well, this is what I know. And, and God says, I want to redeem these relationships and have the most healthy, wonderful relationships. You know, I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my time, especially in the military service. I've done a lot of premarital counseling and I've seen a lot of, even, like, even as people are getting ready to get married, I'm like seeing bad habits develop. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, don't you want Jesus to redeem that? You see, that sacrifice once and for all means that all of our lives can be transformed and changed by God. Are you looking at God to inform your relationships? So that you can walk with God in everything. And, and, and how you conduct yourself with the opposite sex. How you can conduct yourself with people of the same sex. And, and have healthy relationships. And have wonderful friendships. You know, I am absolutely committed to believing that the, one of the reasons that we struggle so much in our lives is because we don't have healthy Christian friendships. And healthy Christian friendships are friendships where people have the freedom to tell you, you are in sin. But we fear that. Instead, we want to remain in sin and we want to justify our sin. And so we keep limiting these friendships and relationships. And I have been so blessed to have other men in my life that have told me, Scott, What you're doing isn't right. What you're doing isn't okay. The way you're responding to your wife is not good. The way you're responding to your kids is not beneficial for them. I thank God for those relationships. God has given us the Christian community to help us live this way. You see, but some things, and I I know there are people in this room that have had sin done to them. And because of past sin, things that have been done to you, you continually to live your life out in light of the sin that's done to you. And that sin still is having victory over you versus you having victory over that sin. Jesus Christ died so that you might have freedom from that. So that you could have healing from that. By his stripes we are healed. That's the correct application of that. That our hearts and our lives can be healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That sin has no more power. 
We've got to stop giving it power. We've got to stop feeding that beast. Things that have been done to us, if it continues to rain over, you need to invite some people into that circle and say, I keep letting that sin, that thing that's been done to me, have victory over me. Would you pray for me? Would you walk alongside of me? Would you speak up when I see that that's having victory over me again? You know, I am so thrilled. We've got a really, a church that studies the Word of God a lot, faithfully. We've got BSF, we've got Bible studies, we've got a lot of things going on. But let me tell you something. If you don't have people around you that have the right to speak the truth of God into your life, I wonder, are we just studying to know more about God or do we want God to change our lives? Because this is what he's saying here. His sacrifice means changed life. A life where sin no longer has victory over you. Sin is done. I, we don't bring in sacrifices anymore. So I, I want to ask you a couple questions. Then these are some thoughts that came to my mind as I was studying. It's like, well, then why are we, why do we celebrate, not celebrate, why do we remember Good Friday every year? Is, is it so that we'll remember our sin once again? No. Because we remember the cost of our freedom. And that we no longer ever, 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 ever want sin to rule and reign in our lives. And we look to Christ and we thank him once again for the cost of our freedom and say, Lord, let us live free in you. Even when we take communion every Sunday, it's, it's not to crucify God again. This isn't the blood and, 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 and actual body of Jesus Christ. But rather, these are elements that remind us of what Christ did. That because of the blood that was shed, we are clean. Live in light of being clean. I need that weekly reminder. I need to be constantly reminded, Lord, I need to live free. I don't want to live bound up, restricted by sin. Because you've got this incredible life for me to live in you. This joyful, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, Paul said. How can he say that? The dude's getting in chains. He's in prison. He's getting beat up. He's getting stoned. He's getting whipped. How can he sit there and say rejoice continually? Because he understands this life is not my home. And then if God says suffer, it's for his glory and my good. And so that sin won't rule and reign and have dominance in my life. And so that not only can I be set free, but I can help lead others to be set free as well. Because so far up to this point, this sermon's been really about you individually. But Christ didn't save you just for you. He saved you so that you might lead other people into this redeemed life as well. So you might help other people understand you can be free. When you've got a brother or sister in Christ that, that continually lets the weight of sin bear down upon them, it should break your heart. And she's like, man, I love you. And I want to see you free. And I'm like going nuts thinking about you just letting this weight stay upon your shoulders. How can I walk alongside you so you can be free? Because he saved us so that we might become this community, this family of believers to put God on display. So that, Because that's what Jesus has come. He has come to set people free. Amen. And we live in light of the eternity to come and the life to come, and the world to come. And chapter 12, he's going to do a little shock and awe. He's going to talk about the return of the king and what that's going to be like. Like a car. <laughs> you got to get rid of that rust. And he's given us the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us. So we don't have to be that dog that returns to his vomit. We don't have to go rolling around in the poop. But we can be a redeemed people. And that means that we have this wonderful freedom to say, I'm sorry. We have this wonderful freedom to confess our sin. I don't know why it's so hard for Christians to do that. 
I don't get it. Well, maybe I do. We're battling the flesh. But when we refuse to say, I'm sorry. I mean, that should be like, we should desire. I want, I want the grace of God. I want the blood of Christ to wash over me. I do not want sin to have a place in my life. And so we confess our sin. If we go to work and we have a bad day at work, we're going to have them. But we go back to our employees or our people or our boss the next day and say, you know, I had a really bad attitude yesterday. I'm sorry. And they look at you really weird. But we can have the freedom to say that because the sacrifice is done. He is seated upon the throne. He is interceding on our behalf. We need to be the greatest people of confession and repentance that the world has ever known. Because when we confess our sin, we're saying, sin, you have no authority over me. Jesus died so that I might have freedom. And not so that I'll be perfect on this lifetime. But so that I'll live a wholly transformed life. Which is different. Perfection means I'm saving me. Holiness means God is saving me. There's a big difference. I want the Holy Spirit to, to convict my heart right away. And then guess what? Then, then it won't be conviction. It'll be, hey, I did that right. Yay, praise God, because the witness of the Holy Spirit has, has led me not to do that again. But there'll be somewhere else to work in our hearts. Amen. Let's practice this together. I challenge you to get in circles where you're forced to live this way. I challenge you to put people in your life that are going to be hard to love. Because I want to remind you, you're hard to love. I'm hard to love. Ask my wife. And the first words she heard from me this morning were, I'm sorry. Brothers and sisters, I mean it when I said that this is one of the most important sermons. You've been set free. If you're a child of God, you've been set free. We can say we're sorry. We can live in light of that freedom. We, we got to stop letting sin have victory over us because there's a whole world out there that needs to know Jesus Christ. But as long as we keep doing the, a dance with sin... And wickedness will fail to minister them and the evil one's winning. Because as we have victory over sin and we get to see that, then we get to go be missional the way God's called us to. We get to be light the way God's called us to be light. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to be the final sacrifice for sin. To be the only sacrifice that wiped away sin completely for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I pray that we would engage our thoughts, we would engage our actions, we would confess where we need to confess, and we would just desire to see the Holy Spirit reign and rule in us. Let's not be afraid of that, Lord God. Because it's with the Holy Spirit's power that we understand and we know what it is to please God and we know what it is to obey God and, and walk with God and pursue God and be called by God. Lord, you have given your very presence to be within us. May we embrace the Holy Spirit's working in our lives and that the Holy Spirit reminds us of the teachings of Christ and gives us the power to live this life and convicts us when we fail to do so. May we embrace that conviction, Lord God. May we not re resist you. Thank you, Father God, for your word that to live this way is the meteor things. And we desire to do it, Lord.
Thank you, Father God, for your word. For each other. Thank you for not calling us to live this in isolation, but live this in community. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's our time in the service. We share some God stories. Who's got a God story this morning? Okay, hello again. So I know that um, I shared from up front a little bit, but I want to share something that happened this weekend that um, was a little bit more personal. So um, Friday night, going to football games with kids. Um, I, I love hanging out with kids, but I'm also made very aware of... Um, God's presence and also my own insecurities that can come up. And the whole time we were at the game, I was sitting down in the student section and the whole time I was wrestling with insecurities, like, like just so intensely. And I was like, okay, Lord, are you trying to humble me here? <laughs> like, what are you trying to show me? And um, when it came time for fifth quarter. I wasn't sure if we were going to have kids even show up. Um, kids had been really noncommittal. It just was a very, sometimes kids are weird. And it was a weird, <laughs> it was a weird night. And we get to Company Creek and we had the biggest group of kids come to Company Creek that we've had thus far this sports season. We had around 25 kids show up, and out of that, 80% of them were girls that um, the leaders have been reaching out to, the female leaders have been reaching out to. And of those kids that I was sitting with at the game, that I was like, do they even want to be my friend? Like, what is happening here, Lord? Um, all of them showed up, and it was just this reminder to me that God is at work in kids' hearts, and that He is the one who's going to bring people to himself, like I'm a vessel. And it was just, just really humbling for me because my insecurities can only get in the way. And it's really, Jesus just wants to flow through, like into and then out of um, me as I become more available to him. And so it just was this really cool... Um, moment where I had in my own heart where God was just like, okay, who, who do you think really is in control? Are you in control or am I in control? And it was like, okay, Lord, you're still in control. Like, I'm, I'm just going to take the back seat here and let, let you do your thing. So.
Hey, um, just want to share something with you that happened um, on my two days off. I needed to go down and get my driver's license renewed. Well, if you know anything about the enhanced driver's licenses, you know you have to take down your birth certificate. A little bit harder for married women because not only do you have to provide a birth certificate, but also other identification to show who you are. Long story short, uh, something Reuben had actually taught me last year was if I can't find something, did you ask Jesus? <laughs> I searched and searched for my birth certificate. Two days, could not find it. Sat down and I asked Jesus, okay, Lord, where is it? He kept sending me downstairs to a file cabinet that I had been through three times and I said, Jesus, it's not there. I went through it. An hour before I left for the driver's license place, Department of Licensing, I found it. It was in the drawer Jesus told me to go to, and he told me to stop when I got to an envelope. And there it was. My God story for the week. <laughs> About a week and a half ago, um, I was winterizing our boat and uh, in the process of uh, getting stuff in and out of the boat, uh, Kathy started helping me clean the garage a little bit because it's a mess. And uh, I'm reaching up on a shelf to put something away, and um, there's a quart of charcoal lighter fluid. And uh, we haven't used a charcoal grill for uh, 12, 13 years. Uh, and uh, so it's old, and I'm bumping things around, and it gets away from me, and it lands on the floor and shatters. The plastic was you know, just ready to go. So one thing is maybe that saved us from a fire hazard. But the second thing is we're cleaning now up all this mess of lighter fluid, and I find a box of pictures. And fortunately, the fluid, fluid didn't get on the, on the box of pictures. And I'm, what are these pictures? Why did I put pictures out here? They're cross. And it turns out that a few weeks earlier, Jackie was praying for finding this box of pictures. Mm. So my clumsiness, we found it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I have a God story that uh, I'll be the last one. Um, there's a, a guy in this room that I've been inspired by and encouraged by, and he's been a great example um, in Jesus because he's been just prayerfully and effortfully, that's a word, uh, loving his friends for Jesus. And so I just, I just wanted to say that uh, we should probably all thank God for Elijah Morris and um, follow his example. And as he follows Jesus, it's, it's been pretty cool to watch. I got to see him loving a friend the other day, and it just inspired me. Thanks for being faithful, Elijah. It was helpful for my heart. Um, <laughs> we have um, the month of October is upon us, and some of you don't aren't aware, and that's okay. Uh, it, it is uh, the most official thing ever. Anyway, uh, it's called <laughs> Pastor Appreciation Month. Happens to be October. Um, so, um, Scott, would you just stand up for a second? Oh, what a guy. Um, we do our best to try to keep it a secret, and we do our best to try to love you as much as we can. So we try to offer some generosity to you in words of encouragement and thanks, and, and also a gift. I know you're going to be on a trip soon, so hopefully you can use some of that for an amazing dinner or something. Um, probably a really amazing dinner. <laughs> um, hey, if you didn't get a chance today to offer anything for the, your pastor, and you want to, October's not done. So um, we're just doing this one card officially, but just Love your pastor this month. Tell him thanks. Thank God for him and tell him uh, why he's your God story. Um, can we pray for you before we finish in our, in our song? Father in heaven, you have brought Scott through so much and his family. Uh, you, 
You saw him when he was a young boy. You saw him when he was still an enemy of you. You desired to chase him down. You thought of him when you were completing the work on the cross. You did it to bring him to you. We are grateful that you saw, you saw it was fitting to, to, to win his heart for your glory, to draw him to you. As, as a dad, we pray that you would lift him up, that you would fill him with courage and joy as a husband. You let him walk in freedom. And as our pastor, we just thank you for his willingness to go through uh, hard work for us to put in so much effort in love to pour himself out, as Paul said, the same way we see Scott doing that for us. And it's all for your glory, and we pray that others would see it and glorify your name because of his work. He doesn't want glory, Jesus. And so we're thankful for him. We're thankful for his understanding of your call to him. And we pray that just in a way he hasn't felt that he'd be encouraged right now, that you, you would lift his face, that you would encourage his heart, you would fill him with your goodness, that he could uh, understand the God stories that he has been to all of us. Yeah. We praise you, Jesus, for him. Thank you for Scott. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.